Amen. It's time to... Oh, okay, that's fine. Well, we are going to turn to some scripture. I'm just going to read the scripture actually uh, in my sermon. So, um, But if you want to get there in your Bibles, it's the book of Micah, which is near the end of the Old Testament. Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Micah. Nahum, Habakkuk, and um, one thing I forgot was something to weight my pages down from blowing. Micah chapter 6, Micah chapter 6. Well, it is... It is good to be back with you all, and I thought to ease back into into ministry, I would pick a nice, easy topic to preach on this morning. I've told some of you what that is, but I'm going to speak on abortion and the recent Supreme Court case, and how do we live as Christians in the current social uh, reality? In all seriousness, I I have been wanting to speak on this issue since June 24th when we heard that the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Um, And let me just pause and say right up front um, that for some people here, this is not just an abstract issue, but it's, it's a painful part of your life. I know there are probably people here who have had abortions or who know someone or someone in your family has had an abortion. And I just want to say there is so much grace and love for you here. This is not going to be a finger-pointing, um, condemning kind of message. So hear that right up front. So you're probably all aware of the news of what happened, but let me just... Um, give a refresher in case you aren't. So in 1973, uh, 11 years before I was born, the um, Supreme Court ruled in a case called Roe versus Wade that women had a constitutional right to get an abortion. Um, someone could tell you better all the, the precise ins and outs of that ruling, but I know that it, it paved the way for many states, including ours, to very permissive abortion laws. So right up until full term, um, you can get an abortion performed for any reason uh, in this state. Um, so this was the reality. This was the legal and social reality for almost 50 years in America until June 24th when the Supreme Court reversed the Roe v. Wade decision, calling it unconstitutional. To be clear, they did not ban abortion. They did not um, comment on the morality of abortion. They simply said this is not a constitutional right and the states should decide. Now, um, the particular case involved uh, this year was between, was called Jackson uh, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health. And Jackson Women's Health was an abortion clinic in Jackson, Mississippi. They sued the state of Mississippi over a, um, a law banning abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy. 
Supreme Court sided with Mississippi, and in that they also overturned Roe v. Wade. And also in 1992, um, Planned Parenthood versus Casey uh, judgment. So since June 24th, many pro-life people have been celebrating um, and blowing the victory trumpets. And um, perhaps there is a lot to celebrate, um, but I... I feel that in some ways it's a hollow victory, and I want to explain that more. And to do that, first I want to introduce you to my friend Jamie. Uh, Jamie is the director of the CareNet Pregnancy Center in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Um, she is one of four other pastors or ministry leaders that I have been part of a year-long um, intensive formation group with. We meet every week for an hour and a half on Zoom. So I've gotten to know her quite well. I also interviewed her this past week for about an hour about the work that she does and her thoughts on this whole um, reality. Now, Jamie is a Christian woman. She is the, uh, the mother of three adopted sons. She serves in her church. She's the director of a pregnancy center. She is about as pro-life as you can get. And yet when I asked her, what do you think about the Dobbs decision? She said... I have mixed feelings. She said, it seems like it just divided our country even more. And I think she's right. You know, some have called the pro-life, pro-choice um, battles America's second civil war because the sides are so entrenched, both sides are so adamantly convinced that they are in the right there's almost zero tolerance for one another. Um, both are convinced they have history on their side. They have justice on their side. And if you just read the letters to the editor in a newspaper or read Facebook comments, you'll see the level of, on the one hand, outrage that came when the Dobbs decision was passed down and the level of a jubilant celebration on the other side, and just the, the righteous indignation that both sides have. And interestingly, people on both sides claim to have Jesus on their side. Right? Um, Pro-life people say, obviously, Jesus is on our side because we believe in the Bible and because every human life is precious, made in the image of God, even life in the womb. And to that I say, amen. Pro-choice people counter, um, didn't Jesus teach us to care about the poor and women in distress? And what are you doing to address the causes that people that, that drive women to get abortions. You know, in researching this sermon, I was surprised to learn that back in 1973, um, evangelical Christians were not united on this issue. Many Christians did not think abortion was a big deal. It was actually the Catholic, a Catholic movement, the pro-life movement, that evangelicals later joined after the Roe v. Wade decision. So we have not always been so clear on this issue. Um, and the lawyer who argued the Roe v. Wade case and won was the daughter of a Methodist pastor. And she credited her father's preaching with her commitment to advance women's rights. 
Now make of that what you will. I'm, you know, I'm not saying one thing or another about that. I'm just saying um, it hasn't always been such a clear-cut issue. So what would Jesus say today? If Jesus was brought onto Fox News or CNN and given a microphone and said, what do you think, Jesus? Whose side are you on? What would he say? You know, we have places in the Gospels where Jesus was confronted with a, with a divisive political issue. Should we ta- pay taxes to Caesar or not, Jesus? One side or the other. Should, you know, was John's baptism from heaven or from men? And Jesus yet refused to be cornered into our categories of thinking. Jesus' answers always had a way of cutting through the noise and cutting through the agendas and cutting through the human garbage and speaking the truth. And so I don't claim to speak for Jesus, but I do want, hopefully, for Jesus to speak through his word this morning. And to do that, I've chosen a verse originally penned by the prophet Micah. Micah confronted Israel and Judah at a a terrible time in their history when the nations were morally and spiritually failing and corrupt. There was tremendous prosperity along with tremendous poverty. Um, There were false prophets who would tell people whatever they wanted to hear. Leaders were more concerned about staying in power than about serving people. Does any of this sound familiar? <laughs> this, this, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. The religious leaders were more concerned about their ritual um, ceremonial practices than about actually doing God's will. That was what Micah spoke into. And here's what Micah said, and this is what I think Jesus might be saying to us as we live as Christians right now in America. Micah 6, chapter 6, verse 8. And I'm going to read from the ESV, the English Standard Version. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God? I want to look at these three phrases in turn. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. Let's pause and pray. Lord, as we venture into this very challenging topic, um, we take comfort in the, the steadfastness of your word. We pray that we would be anchored to your word, that we would hear you speaking to us through it. And, um, Lord, I know that people may be angry with one thing or another that I say this morning, but we pray that you would, above all, be the one speaking and teaching us. In Jesus' name, amen. So do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. This is a familiar verse, and for good reason. So do justice. We are told to do justice. That wording is, is important. Did you notice that? Do justice. Do justice. And justice is treating people fairly. Justice is caring for the poor. 
justice is creating systems that work for people um, and that bring justice to the most vulnerable. Now, doing all of that, doing right, is more important than being right. I think as Christians, sometimes we are so focused on being right, on having the right belief, the right idea, the right opinion, that we forget it's actually what we do with those beliefs that matters. So winning an argument on Facebook will get us nowhere. Doing something for justice, justice's sake, is what counts. And, yes, justice involves laws. So I believe we can celebrate that Roe v. Wade was struck down. It was an unjust law, I think, that dehumanized the most vulnerable category of human beings by treating them as expendable or not as important. And it created a culture where abortion was not just permitted but actually celebrated and so in the words of one pastor, quote, 50 years of calling, good, calling evil good has distorted the moral vision of a generation. So I believe we can celebrate that at least in a legal sense, we are more aligned with justice. Let me just paint a little picture for you here. This might be upsetting, but... I have to do this. Since, since Roe v. Wade in 1972, there have been an estimated 62 million abortions performed in the U.S., which is roughly equal to the com combined populations of Vermont, Connecticut, Maine, New Hampshire, <clears throat> Rhode Island, Delaware, Kentucky, Oregon, Oklahoma, Iowa, Mississippi, Arkansas, Kansas, Utah, New Mexico, Nevada, West Virginia, Nebraska, Idaho, Hawaii, Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, Illinois, Wyoming, and Alaska. People created in the image of God. Gone. Some celebrate that as a sign of progress, that women are able to um, not let childbearing interfere with their lives. But I think God looks at that and says it's injustice. Now, a tiny percent of those 62 million abortions, about between 2 and 5%, were for extreme cases where the mother's life was at risk or where there was rape. Um, but the vast majority of those abortions were for social or economic reasons. So the pregnancy came at a bad time or there wasn't enough money. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not diminishing the, the reality of the pressure of those causes, but just... Um, you know, it wasn't necessarily medically necessary. Or maybe the boyfriend or parents pressured the woman to have an abortion. That's injustice. You know, another way that injustice and abortion go together is that a disproportionate number of abortions um, are performed on poor women and black women. So in New York City, every year, and I, I verified this statistic, more abortion, more black babies are aborted than are born live. Crazy. Um, uh, one third of, over one third of all abortions are performed on black women, even though they make up only 15% of the total population of birthing age women. That's injustice. So what does it look like to do justice today? 
Well, as my friend Jamie said, part of our job is to speak into the system as Christians. This is our government, she said, and we have a government where we have a voice. So as Christians, we should advocate for laws that promote justice. If you haven't heard, there, there's actually a proposed amendment to the Vermont Constitution going, um, it'll be on the ballot this November, called Article 5 or Proposition 22. And the language is about personal, re- personal reproductive autonomy. Um, but the intent is to enshrine unlimited abortion access right in our Constitution. Now, Vermont already has the, some of the most permissive abortion laws in the country. Um, but this would ensure that those laws can never be changed. Now, is that just? I will leave that to you to decide. However, too many Christians think that simply passing laws is what doing justice is, and that is not the case. Again, my friend Jamie, she says, We have gotten so stuck in a conservative Republican mindset that we are not seeing how much support these women actually need to be able to choose life. This is a woman who works with vulnerable women every day and who is a committed Christian. She said, we need to really start thinking as Christians how we can enact policies to support these women. We can say that's the church's job, but the churches aren't doing it. Part of our job is to speak into the system as Christians. So to do justice is not just to be anti-abortion. It's to to advocate for things like paid maternity leave and a better health care system and higher wages and community supports for women, which are all things that are shown to reduce the number of abortions anyway. And we must not only vote for those things, but also be willing to spend our time and our money on those causes. That's doing justice. You may not know it, but um, early Christians in the Roman Empire were known for their care of unwanted babies. So a common form of birth control in the Roman Empire was to, um, if a baby was born that was deformed or the wrong gender or just unwanted, the parents would bring that to the, the garbage dump on the outside of town and just leave it there. And that was socially acceptable. This was not some aberrant thing. It was, light, it was legal. It was socially acceptable. And then Christians and Jews, by the way, said, no, wait a minute. Those are human beings made in the image of God. You can't just discard them. And they started rescuing babies from garbage dumps. Sometimes they would take them only to, to, to let them die in their homes and give them a proper burial. Sometimes they would adopt them into their family. And I wonder how many people are alive in the world today because their you know, great-great-great-great-grandfather was rescued from a garbage dump. Amazing. Now, over time, um, people took notice of this, and whether or not Christians intended it, by the middle of the 300s AD, infanticide was outlawed in the Roman world. Infanticide is, is killing infants. And today, gosh, it's unthinkable for someone to kill a baby that's been born, right? That's unthinkable. For most people, it is. 
So you see, those Christians didn't just say, I believe that it's wrong to abandon your baby. They actually went and rescued the babies. That's doing justice. So we should ask ourselves, are we doing right? Are we doing justice, or do we just want to be right about an issue? We need to do right. Second, love kindness. Love kindness. The word kindness can also be translated mercy. This is an opportunity more than ever, I think, for Christians to be famous for kindness. Unfortunately, the the first word that comes into most people's minds when they think about Christians is not kindness. It's often judgment or politics or, you know, narrow-mindedness. And, oh, that is such a tragedy. Christians have are people that have been shown the tremendous kindness of God. How can we not extend that kindness and mercy to others? You know, more abortion statistics tell a sad story here. Um, about a third of all women who get abortions identify as Christians. And most of those women say on, in studies they report that they have not told anyone in their church. Why? Because they're afraid of being judged. They're afraid they won't find mercy. They won't find kindness. That is appalling. If ever there was a situation that called for mercy and kindness, this is it. There's so much shame involved in abortion, so much guilt. So let's be kind. We also need to be kind to people who disagree with us politically. I am so grateful for the message that Peter Anderson preached two weeks ago. How many of you are here for that? What a tremendous message about how to how to talk with people we disagree with in the world. We need to be kind. And we also need to be kind and merciful to women who are considering abortions or women who have gotten abortions. Um, As my friend Jamie told me about the pregnancy center there in New Mexico, I was impressed by how kind they were to women. She told me, we really do value the mother's life equally. It's not just about saving babies. It's about caring for women and their children. Um, So, for example, to illustrate that, they serve all women, whether it's a a mother of six who is considering abortion uh, and they're anxious about money, or it's a first-time mom excited to meet her baby and all she needs is is an ultrasound for Medicaid. They serve them all equally. They provide diapers, wipes, bottles, parenting classes, and other supports for anyone who wants them. They take the time to listen to women and give them a compassionate ear. And uh, everything they do is based on what the woman wants. So if a woman comes in, they always tell her up front, we don't provide abortions, we don't refer to abortion clinics. If the woman chooses to continue the appointment... They say, okay, what do you hope to get out of this appointment? You are the driver. Um, we want to meet the, your needs that we can. Here's what we can provide. We can give you an ultrasound. We can have a board-certified OBGYN to read the ultrasound and tell you the gestational age. Um, you, uh, we can you know, give these supports to you. 
But then, here's what really blew me away about the kindness they show. At the end of the appointment, um, if the woman is undecided about whether to have an abortion or to carry the child, they say, look, they say, <clears throat> they say, look, we are here for you no matter what. So, if you carry the child, we have supplies to help you. If you choose to get an abortion, we are still here for you. You may experience unexpected emotions. We can help you with those. Come back to us. There will be no judgment, no shame. That's kindness. That's mercy. Jamie said, if we want to be a safe place for them and ultimately a place where they will come to know Jesus or at least experience his love, then I have to offer that love before or after. Amen. That is mercy. That's kindness. How different our culture would be right now if Christians were known for kindness. May that be true of us. Well, the third phrase, so, so do justice, love kindness, and third, walk humbly with your God. In some ways, this is the most important of the three, because without humility, we can do nothing. Humility is the linchpin of the Christian life. It is the foundational posture we need to have. Humility matters in salvation, when we come to God, we come with empty hands. We come with our failures, our sins, our needs. And only then, when we're real about those things, does God welcome us. And humility continues through the Christian life. We serve a Lord, Jesus, who you know, created a definition of humility. He said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Matthew twenty twenty eight, And Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Philippians 2, 9. And so that humility is part of the DNA of Christians. Amen? Therefore, our entire posture on this debate, issue, whatever you want to call it, should be one of humility. Not of triumphalism, not of finger-pointing, not of, not of, I told you so, but of humility. Let me suggest a few ways that we can do that. First, be very careful about how you use, how you use social media. Some of you may not be on social media, and that's good, that's fine. Um, but when you aren't face-to-face -face with an actual person, it is so easy to lose your self-control, to post like a gotcha comment or throw some verbal hand grenade at someone uh, with a total lack of humility. And that always make things worse, makes things worse. So when in doubt, don't post. It's not about winning arguments. Second, and related Approach people on the other side, whatever side you're on, by the way, with curiosity. Chances are you have more in common with them than you realize. You know, uh, most of the pro-choice people I know hold that position because they believe it's the compassionate position. They want to, 
they want women to be cared for. Now, that's something we have in common because I care about women and their well-being also. So approach the other side with curiosity, not judgment. Third, we need the humility to admit that all of the issues surrounding abortion are not always clear-cut. In the words of the Dobbs ruling itself, abortion prevents a, quote, profound moral question, which is true. And sometimes the moral, ethical, legal, scientific, and social pieces of this don't always line up neatly. So have the humility to realize that. And finally, with this issue and with all hot topics, we should always be more ready to confess our own sin than to point out the sin in other people. That's what Jesus meant by taking the log out of your eye before you take the speck out of your brother's eye. Instead of a fault-finding posture, we need to have a a posture of self-examination, of saying, you know what? There's stuff that's wrong in my life. And before I go telling the world everything that's wrong with them, I need to look inward. So yes, you can believe that abortion is wrong. Yes, you can believe that those who treat abortion casually are in spiritual danger. Yes, you can support policies and activities to protect the unborn and vulnerable women. But as soon as it becomes about people out there who are doing bad things, you're not walking humbly with God. You know, I like how it it doesn't just say be humble. It says walk humbly with God. Because the only way to walk with God is to be humble. And where God is is where you want to be. God does not abide uh, pride. He does not tolerate um, self-importance or self-righteousness. He receives humble people. He allows humble people to walk with him. So maybe instead of calling out people on the other side, we should repent for our lack of mercy, for our slowness to do justice, or for a lack of humility. Christianity in America, I believe with all my heart, has made an idol out of power, political power. We think that we please God. I say this broadly speaking of the church in America, not every Christian. We think we please God and advance his kingdom by scoring political points or passing laws or wielding control of government. But this, if if there were any situation that could not be fixed by laws alone, this is it. We We cannot create a real change in our culture through laws alone. Instead, what if Christians repented of idolizing politics and took the long view of justice, kindness, and humility? What would happen in the abortion debate and in the lives of women who feel driven to get abortions? I believe that over time, on-demand abortion would not just be illegal, but it would be unthinkable and unnecessary. 
because of the love, the kindness, the compassion, the justice of Christians. I hope that someday, in the distant future, or maybe not too distant, we look back on the 50-year era of Roe v. Wade and we think, whoa, I can't believe it was so normal to get an abortion. I can't believe abortion was so normal and tolerated and widespread. May that day come. But that kind of change will not come about by winning arguments or passing laws or being right about issues. It will come by doing justice, by loving mercy, and by walking humbly with God. So, before we left for vacation, I was reflecting on this verse, Micah 6.8, and I was wondering if this would be the verse to preach on about this issue. And a few days ago, as I got back in the office and began writing this sermon, Meg reminded me that in our bedroom on vacation in Michigan, there was a verse on the wall on three pieces of wood attached with ropes where the phrase is, do justice, love kindness, walk humbly. So may those words be hung on the walls of our hearts where we can see them and internalize them and, and do them. Let's pray. Lord, we, we need your help to do these things, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you. Those things don't come naturally to us. They are Holy Spirit-given desires and, and attitudes and postures. So please help us. Uh, and I pray, Lord, for any women in our church family or in our families who have been through abortion, that they would find healing and mercy in you and in their, their church and their families and friends. And I pray that we would be people who are safe and who are kind. I pray for anyone who um, was troubled or offended or um, challenged by anything that I preach today. I pray that you would do your work in all of us, uh, shaping our, not only our beliefs and opinions on abortion, but shaping our, uh, our actions as well. We pray that in all things we would honor you, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we're going to close with a song called Show Me Your Ways. So, James could come back up. We'll lead that.